0: Father, we thank you and praise you for this morning. We do thank you for for moms, Lord. We are uh, so blessed, but some of us have had a hard time with our earthly moms, and, and we just ask for forgiveness, whatever it is, whatever situation it was. As believers, Father, we know that we are called to forgive. And so, Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit, We may have to have boundaries. We may have to have those things in place for safety purposes, emotionally, physically. But Father, let not our hearts become bitter or hard towards another human being. But help us to love and forgive, to pray for them, even if it's at a distance, to pray for them to receive Jesus and to get right with God. Father, we thank you for those moms who are right with God and who have given us that godly example. And Lord, if they're still with us this day, we ask your blessing upon them. If they're not here, may we call them and just say thank you for your godly example. Thank you for being a woman of the word. Thank you for being a woman of prayer. Whatever the case may be, may we just have thankful hearts for those believing mothers and believing grandmothers. Believing stepmoms and believing foster moms. So again, whatever the case may be, may we just call and, and acknowledge their faithfulness in the faith. Lord, we ask your blessing upon the word this morning. I pray for the gift of teaching. And Lord, that you'll be glorified in all that's said and done this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Psalm sixty or 76. Psalm 76. To the chief musician... On strained instruments, a psalm of Asaph, a song. Now, in this psalm, Asaph expresses that God made himself known as a just judge by destroying the wicked and delivering the righteous. And as Asaph expressed in 73, Psalm 73, it might not be until death, but God will deliver, and he will be proven just in his judgment. So now we're we're jetting back. Remember, we, we've gone back and forth a few times. We're now back in the days of David, the original Asaph. In Judah, God is known, verses 1 through 3. His name is great in Israel. In Salem also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. There he broke the arrows of the bow, the shield and sword of battle, Uh, Selah, again, that musical pause. uh, What do you think about that is the idea? And as we look at these verses, especially verse three there, one aspect of God making himself known, which he can easily be known by the way, was by an enemy being defeated. And Asaph here mentions Judah as well as Israel as a whole. And he gets even more specific in that he mentions Salem, or what we would call today, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You see, God did give Jerusalem to King David. He fought for it. He conquered it. And it was rightfully belonged to the nation of Israel, even to this day, no matter what social media says or anyone else. Jerusalem was a city of many Jewish kings and is mentioned throughout, old and new, throughout the word of God. Just on a side note, it's not mentioned once in the Quran. Not mentioned once. It was overthrown in 586 B.C. by King Nebuchadnezzar and to this day has not had a Jewish king ruling over it. But Jesus... But Jesus will rule and reign over Jerusalem during his millennial reign. And during that 1,000-year period, after the great tribulation described in the book of Revelation, Jesus will rule and reign over the whole earth from Jerusalem with total authorities and believers. Believers will rule and reign with him during that time. And there will be no weapons. As we read in verse 3, there he broke the arrows of the bow. There will be no weapons of war built for earthly battles will no longer be a part of our society. In verses 4 through 6, you, speaking of God, you are more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. The stout-hearted were plundered. They have sunk into their sleep. And none of the mighty men have found the use of their hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and horse were cast into a deep sleep. You see, there were those who would come against Israel, but they were no match for the God of Israel. And they may have had horses and chariots, they may have had tremendous numbers of warriors, but they didn't have God. And when God is on your side, it doesn't matter who's against you, because God is going to win. You know, a few verses. Romans 8.31, and you're familiar with these verses. What shall we say then to these things? As the government comes against Christianity, if God is for us, who can be against us? As society comes against our Christian faith. As maybe even your own family members come against your Christian faith. And that's, that's the hardest of all. Because obviously we truly love our family members and we want them to know Jesus. But yet they can just look at us and go, you know what? You've just gotten a little too religious. You've just taken this thing a little too far. Why don't you just come back and be a part of our normal family? You used to be so much fun. Now you're a Christian. That's reality. How about Hebrews 13, 5 and 6? Let your conduct... Be without covetousness. Let your manner of life, let the way you and I live as believers, be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, no matter what happens, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And I know for us in America, we've been so sheltered and so blessed. These verses are very applicable in some countries right now. Where Christians are being tortured for Christ. Are being martyred for Christ. Where people are going in and blowing themselves up, as I saw an article this, just this morning. Where a family of six. A family of six. The whole family. The mom and dad and four children. All the way down, I think the youngest was six years old. Strapped bombs on themselves, went into different Christian churches, and blew themselves up. Six-year-old, or an eight-year-old. It was a very young age, whatever it was. Islam is not a peaceful religion. Don't let anybody kid you. Just speak the truth in love. It is not a peaceful religion. That's fact. Christianity is truly a peaceful religion. And they might say, well, what about the Crusades? Those were not Christians that were doing that. That was a church that was doing that. That was a religion that was doing that. Just have an honest conversation with them. Don't raise your voice. Don't argue. Just say, hey, let's talk, let's talk reality. That, those were religious people that did that. Not Jesus. Not Christians. We're not called to do that as Christians. So differentiate. Let them, let them know. It's not a peaceful religion. So what can man do to me? Take my life. Bummer. I'll be in heaven. God, I'm going to stay focused on you. I'm going to stay focused on you. You know, in Psalms 7 through 9, you yourself are to be feared or reverenced. I know sometimes when we see that word, um, we look at that as an, especially depending on how you were raised. I was raised with an unhealthy fear of God. Uh, it's just the way it was. Uh, my dad was a nice dad and he took care of us, but there were some consequences that uh, to his anger that got into this mind that, man, God's just waiting around the corner to slap me upside the head. And and I took that into my adulthood, and I had to work that out. I had to go to the Word of God. I had to debug the program. There's nothing wrong with debugging the program through the Word of God. I didn't go down a blame game, woe is me, blah, 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 blah. No, nobody taught my dad, and nobody taught his dad, so I'm going to change, I'm going to break the cycle. I'm going to do things differently. So this word fear here is a a healthy respect, a reverence. We could also use the word worship. I worship God. I have a healthy fear of God. And And who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? You cause judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still. When God arose to judgment to deliver all the oppressed... Of the earth. You see, since God is a just God, He alone should be feared, placed in that position of reverence. Let's look at Matthew chapter 10. Let's look at Matthew chapter 10. Again, or what we would commonly call worship. We worship God, we reverence God, we fear God. Matthew 10, 28 through 31. And if what I shared with you is maybe a part of your life, you can change that by the word of God. And if you're doing that as a father, you need to change that via the word of God. It's very unhealthy for your children. Matthew ten twenty eight, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Isn't that interesting? Fear is one of the main tactics of the enemy. But rather fear him, notice capital H, fear God, who is able to bo- destroy both the body, the soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from my father's will. So God knows. Yeah, I I love sitting out back. I was sitting out back this morning and, and there's a hummingbird that has a nest and I'm trying to find the nest, but I'm trying to be cautious because I'd love to take pictures of it. I, I understand and I've seen pictures that a hummingbird's egg is the size of a pencil eraser. Just that, they're very tiny. And I would love to see that and take pictures of it as they grow. And and here, God, Jesus makes a very important point for you and I because we get so consumed with worry. You know, our bills, all the finances, our responsibilities, our our lives at times. But Jesus makes this very important point that we dismiss so often. Because we don't care about birds, most of us. It's like, ah, birds, that big deal. I got bills to pay. No, God knows. And he makes it even more personal. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Does God care about the hairs on your head? Jesus is making a point of intimacy. God knows you. God knows something about you that you don't even care about. Those things that get washed down the the drain after a shower. You don't care about them. God knows them. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. You see, people will try to bring fear into our lives... And our spiritual enemy will try to do the same. But God, and this is, again, so key. And I know some of you know this verse. Some of you may even have this verse memorized. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, as Second Timothy tells us. If you don't have this memorized, I encourage you to memorize this verse. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. And that's through the Holy Spirit. You want to keep it in context of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Don't go off on some weird tangent. But he's given us power and of love, the love of God, which will then give us a sound mind will give us a sound mind. when we really understand that the Holy Spirit gives us power to conquer those fears? As Second Corinthians 10, 5 says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. As the Holy Spirit gives us power to do that, it's the love of God that brings a sound mind upon us. So if you're struggling in that area, I just encourage you, meditate upon the Word of God. It's not a positive thinking type thing. It's the word of God that will transform your life. Because again, the enemy uses fear many, many times in our lives. Verse 10, surely the wrath of man shall praise you with the remainder of wrath. You shall gird yourself. You see, the wrath of man cannot even compare to the wrath of God. God does not desire to pour out his wrath, but there is a day coming when he will. Think about Pharaoh. God showed long-suffering. And gave grace to Pharaoh time and time again. But his wrath was eventually conquered, poured out, and conquered the very throne that opposed him. Verses 11 and 12, for you and me. Make vows to the Lord your God and pay them. Let all who are around him bring presents to him who ought to be feared, who ought to be reverenced, who ought to be worshipped. He shall cut off the spirit of princes... He is awesome to the kings of the earth. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. 33 through 37. Again, if you don't have a Bible, please pick up a Bible. Learn your Bible. Know where the books are at. Don't always rely upon your device. But really become familiar with the word of God. Matthew 5:33 Again you have heard that it was said to those of old you shall not swear falsely but shall perform your oaths to the Lord But I say to you do not swear at all neither by heaven for it is God's throne nor by the earth for it is his footstool nor by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great King. Notice that, capital K. Not David, because David was a good king, but he made some very poor choices. No, the great king, again, as I referenced very early on, Jesus is coming back to rule and reign from Jerusalem. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. You see, the Lord is the one to be feared. He is the one who will eventually put down every power and authority. So we should just keep our vows simple. Pray about it if if God's asking you to do something. And as you've heard me pray, even in the offering, you know, in Corinthians it says that you should pray, that you should pray what God would have you to give for the furtherance of the gospel. That's why we don't do regular teachings on tithings around here or giving around here. When it's applicable, when it comes in the word of God, we teach it. But other than that, we don't because God is the one that's going to instruct you. But you do have a calling on your life, and that is to spend time in prayer. God, what would you have me to give for the furtherance of the God? And that may change from week to week. It may not. It may. And that's why you should be praying on a regular basis. Lord, what would you have me to give? keep it simple, and then just follow through on what God would have you to do in that area as well as other areas. Because as I look at this psalm and read this psalm, it's amazing to look back at those who thought that they were really powerful. Remember we talked about Nebuchadnezzar last week? They're dead, they're gone. You go to Babylon today, dust bowl, no more power. Yet God's kingdom is getting brighter and brighter and will one day fill the whole earth. And that's just hard for us to grasp as we see what's happening in our world today. That's just so hard to grasp that one day Jesus is going to be ruling and reigning. We're going to be ruling and reigning with him and there's going to be peace upon this whole earth. And that will cause both small and great to come and fall down in his feet. And again, this is just so hard to comprehend. But the word of God teaches it. So for you and I, we need to believe it and trust in it and keep our eyes on heaven. Do the right thing, research, vote, be diligent. But at the end of the day, keep your eyes focused on heaven. At verse 12 there, I want to focus in on something here for a minute. He is awesome to the kings of the earth. Because we like that word awesome. You know, this hamburger is awesome. Whoa, this meal was awesome. God is awesome. So it can get kind of confusing. The King James uses the word terrible, terrible. And when you look up the word, which you can do, I'm not a Greek scholar, Hebrew scholar, you can do this yourself, get the books. It has various meanings. Here's the definition. To fear, to stand in awe of, to honor. And it's depending upon the verse. So it's depending upon the usage. And here I think the translators of the New King James used the right definition with awesome. It's to stand in awe. To stand in awe. Those who have ever thought that they had power are going to one day stand in awe. Everyone. Of the eternal one whom they forsook. That's why we are called as Christians to pray for our leaders. First and foremost, that they would receive Jesus as their Savior. And then they would obey the Word of God and lead our country accordingly. Prayer is so key for us guys. Pray for those who are in authority over us. Nationally and locally as well. Well, Psalm 77. To the chief musician, to Juduthan, a psalm of Asaph. Now again, we're most likely cruising ahead 400 years again. Now we're around, you know, 600 BC, back and forth here, or somewhere in between. It's definitely a psalm of distress. Jerusalem, Israel, destruction. I cried out to God with my voice, to God with my voice, and he gave ear to me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. In these verses here, we see that the psalmist couldn't sleep because of his sours, sour, sorrows. But he didn't try to find comfort in something physical, something that would dull his mind, alcohol. For us today, drugs. For us today, the TV, movies, videos, games, social media. Instead, notice what he did. He cried out to God and he waited upon his answer which again for us in America is so hard to do because we are used to instant gratification. You see, God will always hear our prayers and he loves to hear from us about anything at any time. And here the psalmist brings out a point that is often true about prayer. Here's the point. It's pretty typical for people to pray when they're in trouble. And even if they don't believe in God, They will find themselves going to prayer in serious times of trouble. Uh, They don't know who they're praying to, but, but they do go to prayer. It's kind of instinct. It's kind of amazing how that happens. Then after a short season of prayer, they typically go off and start to complain to or about this God that they prayed to, of which they know nothing about. Why would a God of love allow this to happen? And that's why, again, you as me as Christians, we're encouraged to pray without ceasing. You see, we're called to develop. We're called to develop that intimate relationship with God, and this only comes through prayer. And as we do that, when things come into our lives, good, bad, indifference, we're able to stand strong in the Lord. We're able to express our emotions, get them out on the table, but then we go back and know God is still good. God is still faithful. He has a plan that is far better than my plans. Verses 4 through 6. You hold my eyelids open. (laughs) Can't sleep. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I meditate within my heart, and my spirit makes diligent search. I like this. You see, the psalmist looks back to God's faithfulness to the Israelites as a whole, and then he looks back at his own life. And in so doing, the nation of Israel was so often called upon to repent for their sins. If you're reading your Bible, you see that on a regular basis as we're going through the daily reading. But that's why they were carried off to foreign lands. You see, they were called to repent, but they didn't. So the psalmist looks at his own life and makes diligent search. Notice in those verses there, he makes diligent search. And if this is indeed the Asaph of Nebuchadnezzar's day, then you would have already heard David's prayer. In Psalm 139. And this is probably a prayer that not too many of us pray very often. But David prayed this. Search me, O God. Search me, O God. That could be a scary prayer. Because we probably already know what he's going to find. And so to actually ask him, to give him that privilege to search our heart, when we already know what the problem is, is pretty scary. Because oftentimes as believers, we know we shouldn't be doing what we're doing, but we do it anyways because we're, we're fleshly for that moment. We're feeding the flesh instead of feeding the spirit. Search me, O God, and know my heart. But this is what the psalmist is doing in this psalm. He's not just looking at everything else or everyone else. He's taking the time to look within. Try me and know my anxieties. Now, did David really need to pray that because God didn't already know his anxieties? Didn't know his worries, his concerns? God already knew. But David is expressing what he had to do. i got to get out of the way and invite God in. Guys, if we do not invite God in, he will not kick down the door and come in. We have to surrender our lives on a regular basis, daily hour, sometimes even minute by minute when we're in those spots where we're just maybe, "Uh, do I, do I not? Do I, do I not? And as you surrender, immediately the Holy Spirit's there to give you the strength and to make the wise choice. And see, he goes on to finish the prayer, his own personal prayer that I believe the psalmist is showing us he did, and see if there is Any wicked way in me. God, I'm opening my heart to you right now. Is there anything wicked in me? And lead me in the way everlasting. Get me back on the right road if there is. God, I'm opening my heart to you right now. I think I know what's wrong, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you expose it so that I can be right with you. Because I know that you'll, you'll get me right with you. And when you look at the life of David, it, he did. When he surrendered to God, God made it right. God will always make it right, but we need to surrender. You see, revival starts with individual believers allowing their hearts to be searched by God. This is really revival for anything that is unholy. A lot of times when we hear the word revival, we think of people with tambourines and swinging from chandeliers and praising God and jumping all around. Oh, this is revival. Revival is holiness. Revival is just opening your heart to God and saying, God, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my heart? Where am I sinning? Because we all sin. We all make mistakes. And then as we do that with God, the Holy Spirit fills us afresh anew cleanses us of that unholiness and makes us right with God and then revival is taking place in my life and then I can go out and serve God even better so revival is very very personal very personal uh, verses 7 through 9 will the Lord cast off forever will he be favorable no more has his mercy ceased forever has his promise failed forevermore does this sound a little desperate does this sound a little despondent? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he, in anger, shut up his tender mercies? You see, these are questions, and there's nothing wrong with asking questions, and that's what exactly what asaph is doing here but But I don't believe as sometimes we can do that that He's calling God on the carpet like he knows better than God. No, I just think he's just asking God very sincere. Very honest questions. This is what's going on in my heart. Where are you? Is this going to last forever? Notice the words there. Forever, forevermore? Have you forgotten? Just honest, sincere questions. So, again, nothing wrong with asking questions. Just make sure you're not trying to call God on the carpet. He knows what he's doing. Verses 10 through 15. And I said, this is my anguish. But... I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. Even though I have these questions, even though I'm not sure, God, where you are emotionally, I know where you are physically. You are in heaven. You are on the throne. You have a plan. You have a purpose. So I'm going to remember... The years of your right, of the right hand of the most high. And again, remember what that's talking about? Right hand power. I'm going to remember the power, your power. I will remember the works of the Lord. See a theme here? The psalmist is in desperate need, but I'm going to remember, I'm going to remember, I'm going to look back and remember. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will also meditate On all your work. Again, so remembering and then meditating and then what does he do? You see, he engages his brain first. I'm going to remember, I'm going to meditate and then I'm going to talk of your deeds. Well, I remember when God delivered me and I'm in a tight spot right now and I don't know how he's going to deliver me. But I do remember when he delivered me then, so I know he's going to deliver me now. And we trust in God's faithfulness, not our own. Your way, O oh God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God. You are the God who does wonders. You have declared your strength among the peoples. You have, your arm, redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, notice again that he engaged his mind before he engaged his mouth. You see, he committed to do what our flesh does not desire to do, to focus on God's faithfulness in the past. And I know I say this often, but guys, I just want to encourage you to do this. Because our flesh oftentimes tries to run around, scurry, be frantic, just go crazy. And then when it's all said and done, we what do we often do? Well, I guess I should pray. No, this should be the first thing, not the last thing. Well, I've tried everything else. I guess I will Pray. Again, let's make that the first thing we do. Let's meditate. Let's remember God's faithfulness. You see, when we look back and remember how faithful God was, we can look ahead and be assured that He will be faithful in the future. And I have no issues with this. Not that His faithfulness is based upon our memories. Thank God, because mine's two weeks. Because it's not. But if we do look back and acknowledge God's faithfulness, we will find ourselves growing in the faith. This is what will take place. You will find yourself growing in the faith, and we'll become more faithful to the calling that he has placed upon our lives. Each one of us in this room have a calling on our lives. As believers. As a believer, you have a gift of the Holy Spirit given specifically to you to be used in the body of Christ as well as in the world. But as you read the Bible, you've been given a gift specifically to use in the body of Christ. And as I've encouraged you so often, do you know what that gift is and are you using that gift? God has given it to you. Use it for his glory. But oftentimes we don't use it because we're looking into our past. Or we're fearful of something. We're allowing the enemy to defeat us before we even step out. Now step out and let the Holy Spirit fill you. And refresh you. And God will multiply the blessings upon your life of peace and joy and love. Verses 16 through 20. The water saw you, O God. So now Asaph looks back and he rehearses the greatest deliverance ever by God. You see, again, it's good to look back and rehearse what God has done in our lives. I do this with our adult children. They don't want to hear it, but I do it. And I don't get often to do it, so when it happens, it happens. But it's good for them to hear it. Someday I'll be gone. Plant those seeds, plant those seeds, plant those seeds. God will take care of the rest. You see, the Jewish people rehearse this every year. It's called Passover. They rehearse what God did and how he delivered them out of the hand of, out of, the hand of Egypt by his mighty hand. The water saw you, they were afraid. The depths also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent forth a sound. Your arrows also flashed about. The voice of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea. Your path in the great waters. And your footsteps were not known. You led your people like a flock. Isn't that awesome right there? You led your people like a flock, which would make him what? A shepherd. A shepherd. God, you are our shepherd. By the hand of Moses and Aaron. Why? Because of God's faithfulness. And I just want to encourage you, especially your mo- you moms, because my wife is a mom and Her heart is for our children, just like I shared with you in the beginning of the service. Man, I wish these stinking kids would follow God. Why don't they? Like most of us, our ways are better than His ways. And we have to get to that place where we acknowledge, no, your ways are higher than my ways. And that only comes through a personal relationship. That only comes through personal surrender. And maybe you're here this morning. And maybe you need to surrender or re-surrender your life. Maybe you need to look back and see God's faithfulness, God's provision, how God took care of you. And just acknowledge, God, you're going to keep doing that. Why do I worry? Why do I have these anxious thoughts? Why do I get so consumed with myself? God, help me to realize and remember who you are. That I'll just focus on you and your goodness and proclaim your faithfulness to those around me. Because, guys, a majority of people in your workplace, I can guarantee this to you, a majority of people in your workplace do not know the faithfulness of God. And the majority of people in your, in your workplace probably don't even know God. They have a God. They serve that God. But they don't know our God. So you're there in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your school, with your classmates, with the friends that you might have as adults, you are there to be that witness for Christ. There is a God. He was faithful to me in the past. He will be faithful to me now. He will be faithful in the future. Because God's word says he is faithful. Father, we just thank you and praise you for your faithfulness. We see it in your word and we can see it in our lives. But so often, Father, there are those seasons of life that captivate us. And sometimes even consume us. Consume our emotions. Bring anxiety. Bring worry. Bring frustration. Maybe even bring bitterness or resentment against you into our lives. Lord, we know that's of the enemy. But only through surrender can we defeat the enemy. Only through your word can we defeat the enemy. Only through that personal prayer time can we defeat the enemy of our souls. You give us the power through your Holy Spirit. But even as your son did, he quoted the word of God. Word perfect. Help us, Lord, to meditate and to memorize your word, to read it from Genesis to Revelation, to get all of it within our heads, that it might sink down and captivate our hearts, that no matter what happens, what can man do to me, that we'll just keep serving you and loving you because you are faithful. You know, as the saints are praying, Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have Jesus as your Savior. And maybe you had a believing mom, a believing dad, a believing grandmother or granddad. Whatever the case may be, maybe there's neighbors that have been praying for you. You're here this morning because God loves you. Jesus died for you. And if you so choose... It's free will. If you so choose, you can receive Jesus as your Savior this morning. I'm not going to give you a promise that he'll deliver you from everything evil or bad because that's a false promise. Bad things happen to believers. But he is with us during those bad or tough seasons of life. To do a work in our hearts. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. We never have to go through it alone as believers. And so if you would like to receive Jesus as your Savior this morning, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And I would encourage you to pray that prayer, not for your mom or your grandmother, for you. For you. Because you know you need a Savior. Place your pride at the throne of God and surrender to Him. And He will receive you. You will become His son. You will become His daughter. And those around you right now are praying for you and praying for your soul. Make a wise choice. So if you'd like to pray that prayer, just just repeat after me these simple words. God, Thank you for putting people in my life that love me. That are willing to share you with me. I don't understand a lot. but at least i do know now that you love me that you're here for me right now and so i come right now and and i surrender my life to you i repent i acknowledge that i am a sinner in need of a savior And I turn to you. I invite your Holy Spirit, who is God, to come into my life right now. I'm not sure what that even means, but I know you'll teach me. I trust you. So teach me what that means as your Holy Spirit now dwells within me. And now with this simple confession I have become your son. I have become your daughter. And I can now call you Father. Abba, Father. Thank you that I can have that intimate relationship through Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for the free gift of salvation and for anyone who prayed that prayer this morning, Lord. We pray that you would bring them into a good, solid, Bible-believing church. That we could come alongside them and other good, solid Bible-believing churches in our community could come alongside them to teach them the Word, to show them how much you love them and care for them, that you're always going to be there for them. Lord, strengthen them. And strengthen us, Father, this day as we go out into our mission field, this week as we have to go back to work to provide for our families. Help us, Lord, to meditate and to remember your goodness, that we might proclaim that throughout the day. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand, guys? God bless you. Have a great day. Have a wonderful celebration. If you're celebrating, if not, maybe give your mom a call. Thanks, guys. If you need prayer, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. If you receive Jesus, please come forward. We'd love to pray with you again. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Sing verse 2, King of my heart, let the King of my heart be the wind in my sails. wind inside my sails, the anchor in the rain. oh, He is my song, that the King of my heart be the fire inside my veins, the echo of my days, oh, He is my song, and you are good, good.